0: So, uh, Hosea 6 and 7, as we go through, we're going to go to Hosea chapter 6 and 7. But we've learned about um, Gomer being unfaithful um, and about the children. And last week, what did you learn about? Okay, how important it is to raise your children to follow God? Because if they don't learn, they will die. Like, like not in, like the like life sense and like the like oh like they will to like they will go to uh, they will go to, to like spiritually they're yeah. gonna die, right? Yeah. Spiritually they're gonna fade away, walk away from God because they don't. No. And through the generations, you're just going to lose all the knowledge. You lose each and every time you lose knowledge more and more and more, right? So that was one big thing. Each generation doesn't take long. In fact, it could be lost in one generation. So that was the challenge last week, right, was to go through and to say, who who, uh, are you Focusing on and who is going to teach the next generation? Gotta be you guys, right? You have to pass it to your children, otherwise, it loses right away. That very next generation, you walk away from God, okay? So you must pass it on. Now, society without God, without the knowledge of God, becomes lawless. Society is lawless. Okay? Without the knowledge of God, society becomes lawless. But through God, you begin to start to understand a little bit more, and you start to have a little more passion towards God. So, we're going to turn to chapter 6 and uh, do chapter 6 and 7, as we start to see about God's offer. God's first offer is for Hosea To tell the people to come back to God. Come back to God. Now, how many of you have ever broken a bone? Nobody? Oh, I have. You did? I broke a pinky toe. A pinky toe, okay. (laughs) You broke one. Anybody else? You broke one? Yeah, sort of. <laughs> How do you sort of break it? I don't know. Right? No bro- How many of you have ever gotten a cut? Alright, we did it. And what happens if that cut doesn't get sewn up correctly? If it's a- How many of you have gotten a deep cut? Very deep cut, right? And if it doesn't get stitches deep enough where it needs stitches, what happens to it? It turns into like a scab. Yep. It turns into a scab first and then eventually it turns into a scar, right? It doesn't close together and heal quite right. God is offering healing, is what he wants for the people of Israel. And he says, first, you are broken. He said, and what often happens is God uses something like a, a, a wound or a break to teach you how you need to be healed. Okay, that's what God is saying. So chapter 6, verse number 1, let's look and see what happens. As he talks about... Broken bones and heal up scars. Chapter 6, verse number 1 of Hosea. Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn and he will heal us. He has smitten and he lined us up. Okay. So what does smitten mean? If you smite somebody. Hit. I guess. What? Hit them. Hit them, right? And that's when you hit them hard enough and you break something, right? And it says in there, it says, God tore their flesh, And he's offering to heal them. God smote them. That's the past tense, I guess, of smite. (laughs) He smote them or he hit them and basically broke them, broke something in them to get attention from them. To say, look, you are not doing the right thing. You've been walking away from me. You, you're not understanding what you're doing. And I've got to get your attention somehow because you're just not listening. It's very difficult to get something to listen if they have a mind of their own. We have done, I've done work with horses. And horses are a very big, powerful creature. I've worked on some horses, that were over one ton, okay? That's a big piece of horse flesh, right? And they're very powerful, and they can do a lot of things to you. You don't need a one-ton horse to hurt you, okay? A 1,000-pound horse will be just fine. It can do a lot of damage to you. How do you get them to listen to you? Tie them (laughs) to I mean... Do you like tie it to like a thing and have it walk in circles? Well, there there was a the whole thing about that. You can you can lunge them, but that's not always good. Uh, where it walks in circles, uh, what you really what they understand. It's like the pain and pressure, they move away. Yep, with with pain and pressure, they move away because it's so terrible. You're hurting them. You're not. You're teaching them where they shouldn't be. So you don't get hurt. Okay? And pressure, sometimes just from your fingers and your hand, up into a spot. Now, some of them don't care. Some of them need a whole lot more than that. But a lot of them will learn just by pressure up inside, and you push kind of up into their belly in the right spot, where all of a sudden they'll say, eh, that's uncomfortable. And then when they won't step away, the pressure stops. So they learn. Some horses are much more uh, angry. <laughs> okay? And they are much more, less prone to listening. <laughs> And so there's something uh, that looks terrible when they do it. And I personally have never done it, but something called a twitch. It's been used for many, many, many years on horses, for cantankerous horses. It is not necessarily used for something that is a, uh, an agreeable horse, but something where it's cantankerous and won't help you out. They actually wrap a little piece of rope around its lip, its upper lip. And they have a stick on it, and they twist it and it pinches that down, that piece of rope. But you get to the point where there's no pressure, and then when you want it to do what it is, you put pressure on it, and they stop, and then you're supposed to release the pressure. They can be misused in many ways, but the idea was this, to control something like that, you can't just say, hey, nice horsey, go over there. They don't care. They're not going to do it. You have to communicate to them in a way they understand. And so Israel was not being communicated to in a way they understood until they were a cantankerous group of people, until they finally felt a little pain and they said, Oh, that's bad. I don't want that. And God says, If you come back, I will heal you. So God was reaching out to them and saying, you need to listen, you need to listen. Now understand by the time they get to prophet Hosea, they've been ignoring God for a long, long, long time. This isn't like, ah, weak and I'm gonna hurt you, right? This isn't necessarily physical hurting, but he might hurt the country in many ways. So they start to respond, they start to understand and God says, you come back to me and I will heal it. Like any broken bone, Like any cut, it can heal. The scar will remain oftentimes, depending on how deep it had to be or how harsh it had to be. But sometimes if you just won't listen, you have to go a little harder. Okay. And so that's what God offers, is a little bit of understanding. Just listen. Verse number two, please. And after two days we will he revive us. In the third day he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. Alright, so here it is. After two days, he's going to wake us up, revive us, right? And the third day he raises us up. In other words, he offers healing to come back. Now, this sounds familiar, right? Third day raising you up, right? Because who was it? Jesus. Jesus was risen on the third day. It's a little bit of a hint towards people who learned the book of Hosea when they saw and heard the message of Christ on that day. That's the whole point of prophecy. It's supposed to click in your mind and say, oh, He got raised up on the third day. Now what's important about the second day and third day with the Jewish folks is after a person dies uh, the old tradition with the Jewish people was their spirit kind of stayed around their body and they weren't really dead even though they were dead, right? The spirit hung around for two days and on the third day the spirit left. That was just a Jewish tradition. But God made sure with the people uh, that believed that tradition, that they would be sure and say, when Jesus said, you know, when Jesus rose on the third day, he'd say, well, it looked like there's no way he could come back. But on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. Okay, a miracle. The spirit was supposed to be gone by then on the third day. Okay? Not just kind of hovering around and hanging around. He was supposed to be gone and gone to God and no way for him to ever come back. So that was the tradition. Now what he's saying is even on the second day, yes, I will help you. I will raise you. I will come back and heal you. This is kind of an extension of the healing. He says, and I will raise you literally from the dead. I will bring you out. When you think it's impossible, I will do it. I can do this for you. All right? So that's what God's offer is. Verse number three. Then shall we know, if we follow on to know the Lord, his going forth is prepared as the morning. And he shall come unto us as the rain and the ladder, and form a rain unto the earth. Okay, so he says, this is your offer. I'm going to heal you, right? I'm going to heal you of your cuts and of your bruises or breaks. I'm going to raise you up because you guys have really messed this all up, but I'm offering to do this if you follow me. And if you follow me... It is going to be like you planted a crop. Now, it says it's going to be raised up as the morning, right? Going forth is prepared as the morning. So, how many of you have ever seen, been outside in the darkness in the morning, and seen the very first twinge of light come out? Okay, a few of you, the very first twinge where it is dark, but you all of a sudden look and it's like, oh, I couldn't see that a second ago. It was pitch black. I couldn't see that, but now I can kind of see little shapes around me. I can kind of start to see things around me. You have to wait all the way through the night to get to the morning. And Jesus is like that. He says, I will come, but you have to wait to the end. Right? He says, if you follow me, you will have to be patient. You will have to be patient. The morning will come, right? Morning will come. Or, I'm also like the early and latter rains. Now you planted a garden before, hopefully most of you have planted a garden, or at least helped with a garden, or at least have seen a garden. When you first plant your seeds in the ground, and it's dry, what happens with them? If it's dusty and dry, nothing. Your seed sits there in the ground. What does it need? Water. It needs your first water. And a lot of times people water that right away, okay? But if you plant a large crop, you probably don't have a way to water it. And definitely in Israel at this time, though they probably had some irrigation from ditches and things, most of the time you didn't water most of your crop. You waited for the early rains to come in. We have them in springtime gets the ground wet and prepared. We get, right, April showers, is supposed to bring May flowers, but a lot of times it just brings May showers along with it and then a little bit of pelting ice too, right? <laughs> That's what happens here in Western New York. But it's supposed to be April showers bring May flowers, right, the rain, the early rain brings in the growth or the start of the growth. But say you're going to plant that prize pumpkin, for the contest here at church all right you want a big huge pumpkin you need those early rains to start and the rain comes in and you've got that plant and it's growing and you've got all these beautiful vines that are growing out of there and then on comes the blossoms and there's a little pumpkin finally little tiny pumpkin starts there and if that's your last rain, that's all you're ever going to get is a little tiny pumpkin. right? You need later rains. So you get the early rains and the late rains that come in. And that late rain, you need some good showers in July and August. And then you know if it's constantly being watered that it's going to grow and you're going to grow a 120-pound pumpkin or a 10-pound pumpkin. Depends, <laughs> depends on if you're my garden or not, right? My garden, that's all I ever grow. 10-pound pumpkin. God blesses you in your life this way. He says, if you follow me, if you know me, I give you those things to sprout, and I give you the long rains, the rains in the end, for you to bring the big harvest. That's the way God treats his people. So with the early rains and late rains, right? He brings blessing to his people. You come on me. That's what God offers. So God offers healing. God offers raising up. He says you gotta be patient till those late rains come. Right? I can't go out to my pumpkin in the middle of June and say, Oh, looks great, and cut it off. I'm never going to win. Right? If I want to win, I want to get that big pumpkin, then I got to wait and be patient to the very end until God brings those final rains in August and maybe September and he gets some nice heat and summer, sun and rains, and man, it goes. All right? And you leave it in that ground, attached to that vine, to the last possible day to get what you want. And you let God, you soak in all the blessings God will bring. That is exactly the way he's offered it. So that's what he's offered. And now God says, I offered this to you, but this is what you did to me. He says, this is what I want you to do. So how I want you to live. But this is what happened and what you did back. All right, chapter six, verse number six. I mercy, not sacrifice, in the knowledge of God, more burnt offerings. Okay, what does God want? He wants two things, and he doesn't really want the other two things mercy and knowledge. He doesn't want to sacrifice or offerings. Mercy and knowledge. Now, he says it's okay, sacrifice or burnt offerings are okay. But he'd rather have mercy and knowledge. In other words, I want you to not turn away from me and have to come back and ask for forgiveness a thousand times. He says, I'd rather that you listen, treat people well and right, understand the mercy of God, and apply it to people around you. I'd rather that you know about me and live in obedience rather than always turning away and coming back. Now, will God forgive you? Absolutely. He forgives you, but he prefers obedience rather than constant sacrifice to say, I've messed up again. I messed up again. I messed up again. What he wants from you is that. All right. But he's not getting that from Israel. And that's the whole thing with Hosea, right? They turned away from him. Here's the things. And he's going to start to say this is what's happening inside society. Inside society, this is the things happening. Chapter 6, verse number 9, please. And as the troops of robbers wait for a man, so the company of priests murder in the way by consent for their human beings. All right. So he says, over here, there's like a big group of thieves, robbers. And they all get together and they decide that they're gonna go to Audrey's house. Because Audrey's got the greatest collection of trolls. Right? (laughs) And they say, we're gonna go in, we're gonna go against her we're gonna go as a group we're gonna take all those trolls and take them back (laughs) right so she's gonna go and they're gonna they, they decide together they get together like a big group a big band of robbers now who likes these people nobody right nobody likes them. nobody wants a robber to come in their house and take things He says, but that is the way your leaders of your churches have been working in Israel. The leaders of your synagogues, the leaders of your temple. Those religious people have been going in like a group of robbers instead of doing what I told them to do and hand out mercy and hand out knowledge and teach people about me. Instead of giving of themselves, they look for what they can get from you. And they conspire together and they act like thieves and robbers. It is one of the first things that happens in a country that focuses on God is that the religious leaders, religious leaders go bad, right? The religious leaders start to get greedy. And if you see that in a country The people that are supposed to help lead you to God, if they start to get greedy, watch out. Danger. Big signs should flash in front of you. And if you were to look across our country, you might see those signs. In fact, you've probably seen them for 30, 40, 50 years now. Television evangelists that get on and you can tell their goal is not to help you, but they always ask for money. Give me your money. Give me your money. Give me your money. Okay? I'll do great things if you just give me your money. As they get on their private jet, and people are sending them in their last 10 bucks. right? When people get greedy, don't think God won't come after those people. right? Because then you start to say, what is this person really doing? This religious leader, what are they doing here? Are they really here to help me or are they here to get the money? Gotta watch it. That's one thing that happens within society, okay? The first thing. And now we're gonna talk about a bread oven. There's a bread oven. You guys all know, because there's one across the road, right? How many of you know how long it takes to prepare the bread oven before you can cook your very first loaf of bread? Got a guess? Twelve hours. Probably you could do it before then. It's about m- minimum six hours of fire. Six to eight hours. Usually you have to heat it way up to let it cool down to get a loaf of bread. Okay. Now understand that that is exactly what all bakers did for centuries. In fact, many towns had, uh, if they lived, people lived in a town, they might have a central oven, one wood-fired oven that people could come and there'd be a baking day, one day a week. And everybody get together, and they all load the wood up, and they load up the fuel, and burn it, and burn it, and burn it, and burn it, and burn, it and burn it, until that captures all the heat in all that mass of rock and/or brick or mud or whatever their ovens made out of. It's time. And once they do that, they got so many hours to shove all their stuff in and bake it and cook it. it takes time. And you have to be patient with it because you can't. You got to get that whole thing up to temperature before you can do it. Now, while you're doing that, you got bread. How are you going to make bread? Flour and yeast. Flour and yeast. And water. water. Right. Sometimes a little oil. Sometimes a little sugar. Sometimes it depends on the uh, what you're making. Okay. So you put that together and roll it out, mix it up, do it. And then what do you gotta do? Let it rise. For an hour. For an hour, depends on the temperature, right? And then you punch it, and you knead it. And you gotta get all of that um, yeast through the whole bread. And then you let it rise again. Then you don't punch it next time, right? Punch it first, then don't punch it the next time. And then you wait till your oven your bread is ready rising until your oven is ready because that thing is is cooking 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 uh, your oven putting lots of fire into it until it's ready to go and so what do you do when you've got all your stuff ready and your oven's still heating up take a nap man right you're tired and you still gotta cook right after after your ovens all done so you you go away and take a nap for a while. And that is the picture of what is happening here. It's a big bread oven. We're going to read a couple of these verses. Verse number 4 of chapter 7 verse 6 and 7 as we hear the story of the bread oven. Four. Chapter 7 verse 4. Okay. They are all adulterers as an oven heated by the baker who ceases, see, see this Ceaseth. Ceaseth. After he had kneaded the dough until it (laughs) be leavened. Okay, so he did all his work, right? It's all set. And he ceaseth. That means he stopped. Taking a nap, right? Going away. Because he knows it's going to take a long time. So you really got to think about it and be prepared. My great-grandmother in Norway had a great big bowl more of a wooden trough, really, about this big. And I saw that bowl, and every single week she made, filled that whole thing with dough, raised it all up, and made 30 loaves of bread between all her children and all the things she did every week. She made it, but she had to plan, and she knew Friday was her baking day, heated up the oven. She had a stone oven, same thing, stone oven. She had to heat it all up and get it all ready to go so it takes a lot of preparation. You don't turn the oven on like you do today and it's heated up in 15 minutes. It's hours of prep to do it. All right? So this guy started. That's what he did. Now verse number 6 and 7, please. For they, their hearts like an oven, draw him into their oven. Their anger smolders all night, and all morning it Blaze is like a flaming fire. They are all hot as an oven and have devoured the judges, all their kings are fired. There is no one that calls unto them. Okay. Now we started out with this baker. And all of a sudden, did you notice? There was a he, the baker. And all of a sudden, we're into this they. This is where they are a group of people. And they have been planning like an oven. They're angry. They're looking to to reach out and get somebody. They're looking to do something. What did they do to their judges and their rulers? They devoured them. Devoured them. So they're looking to get rid of them. They're judges and they're rulers. They're looking to get rid of them. And what don't they do? The very last one of that verse. This group of people that are angry like a hot oven. There's none that calleth unto me or unto God. So none of them are godly people. There is this group of people who are hot like an oven. Their anger burns, they're waiting, but they are patient, always preparing. Like I said, the oven takes a long time to get ready, right? And they get ready and lie in wait. It uses the words to lie in wait. In other words, they're waiting to strike down leaders. Take out, take out godly leaders to take out the judges, the godly judges. This is the next thing that happens in society, right? We talked about the religious leaders. Then there's this other group. We'll call them the hot oven people, okay? And they don't listen to God. Don't listen. These are ungodly people. Is what they are, right? They have been patiently preparing and waiting for the moment when they can take down people in positions of power that love God. Take them down, wipe them out, push them away. They don't want anything to do with God in their society. So it's constantly boiling, bubbling, heating up. It takes a long time. They're preparing and they're waiting for the moment they're going to take them out. We are there in our society today. There is a group of angry people. right? Not anybody in particular. You might name a few out there that you might know names of, but people that have been looking to take people that love God out. And there is a raging battle in our country today, just like in Israel that day, that when they did that, they were looking to destroy all of the influences of God in the society. Like that oven. And they're, they, they wait for a long time. They've been building up building up, building up, and in any way they can wipe out small things along the way they do, but they're patient. And sometimes it takes a generation. Sometimes it takes a hundred years and they're gonna wait while that oven goes, but their anger is seething. Their hearts are on fire with anger, right? And there are so many angry people out there today, angry against God. And they're looking to tear out God in all parts of society. And where does that influence come from? Well, Satan's the one who hates God, right? And so all the ways he can poke and prod and push people Going to use that to destroy a country that's godly. Exactly what happens. Exactly what happens. Right? With God and with, with a godly country, he's looking to destroy him, destroy him, destroy him. So I have one more here. One more. Verse number eight and verse number nine. Ephraim, we'll call it another name for Israel. Essentially, it may be a small group, smaller group of Israel, but it's these Israelites again. Ephraim is the name. So, verse number eight and verse number nine. There's two more things we're going to look at. Ephraim, he mixed himself among the people. Ephraim is a cake not turned. Strangers have devoured his strength, and he knoweth it not. Yea, gray hairs are here and there upon him, yet he knoweth not. All right. Here's the last thing. So you've got the religious leaders have turned. You've got this angry people like an oven. And then you have the idea of Ephraim. How many of you ever made a pancake? Okay. If you haven't made one, hopefully you've eaten one. Okay. (laughs) Whether you love them or not, if you pour that pancake batter on that pan, and that pan is nice and hot, and then you leave it there and you never flip it. What happens? So turn, the bottom burns, but the top never cooks. <laughs> All right, the bottom <laughs> burns, and the top is raw. Is it good to eat? No. It's disgusting, okay? It's terrible. And why does that kind of thing happen? Well, I poured it on there, and I walked away and forgot it. It was a cake never turned. It right? should have been turned over and then it would have cooked both sides evenly would have been fine. But you have to manage it. You have to take care. You have to watch that pancake because if you don't watch it, you're going to burn the bottom and the top is going to be raw and you might as well throw it all out. Ephraim or Israel, the society of Israel at this time with Hosea had forgotten to tend to their pancakes. Not really the pancakes, but they forgot to tend to their spiritual needs. Just wasn't important enough. It's like, yeah, we're gonna get started there. Like I poured the pancake batter on there and then I went away. The burnt bottom and the raw top was all it ever made like they got started, but they never tended to it. They could have been, with enough care and tending, they could have had a good pancake, right? But instead, they never paid attention to it. And if you don't pay attention to your spiritual life, and you don't pay attention to your country, as you watch, it it just degrades and degrades and degrades. And finally, it's a bad pancake. In other words, it directly affects your life because... You spiritually don't care. Never have follow through. I don't bother. I don't tend to my life. And so if you don't tend to your life, it will fall apart just like that. Now, also it says, and here's the great one. You guys don't know this yet, but you will soon enough. There it is. It talks about strangers have devoured his strength. He knoweth not... But there are gray hairs here and there on his head. One day you'll wake up, like me, and suddenly parts of your hair may have turned a different color. (laughs) And you didn't know the day it happened. You didn't pay attention. You didn't know. But suddenly, gray hairs show up. They just do. There's no way around it, and you may be 20, or you may be 70 when that happens to you, but somewhere along the line, if you weren't paying close attention and not watching what's happening, all of a sudden there may be a few gray streaks going on. It's just like the pancake. You got gray hairs because you never paid attention. You never looked, and all of a sudden you're shocked I can't believe it. When did I turn gray? Or I walk up to my pancake and said, how come the bronze burned? Because you didn't pay attention. And so it's important to pay attention and care, care about your hair, right? And your bad pancakes. And that's what Hosea's message is, is start to pay attention to what's happening around you. It will affect you. Now your country may be going all apart but the last piece of that society falling apart is its people. The religious leaders walk away there's an angry mob out there trying to take God out but no one can take God away from you unless if you walk away and leave your pancake to burn. You pay attention. No one can take him away from you. It's your personal life you pay attention. Keep an eye out for gray hairs and bad pancakes, okay? Watch in your life. That's Hosea's message for today. Things happen in your country and your towns and the places around you, but pay attention to your own heart and make sure you are doing the right thing. And that's Hosea 6 and 7. Thank you very much. Have a good day.